As you look back on your life, maybe you're thinking, God could never use someone like me. Pastor Ed Taylor says God uses imperfect people. God can and God will and God does use anyone, no matter what their background is, no matter what their weaknesses are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter what part of town you came from, no matter what language you speak, no matter what color of the skin you are, no matter what gender you are, no matter how smart, how educated, what you may bring that is an adequacy before the Lord, God will turn it around and use it for his glory so he gets all the credit for the work in your life. This is amazing grace. God uses imperfect people and situations to accomplish His purposes and will, and that should be a great comfort to us. No matter our background, no matter what we've done in the past, we can be used by God. And that's emphasized in the book of 1 Samuel. Welcome to Abounding Grace. And you've picked a good day to join us as Pastor Ed Taylor is about to introduce a new series today based in 1 Samuel. He'll offer some background and an introduction today as we get underway. One of the highlights of the Bible is how God has chosen to use human beings in his plan of salvation. How he uses humans for his purpose, his glory. He could have chosen, just if you, you think back of his plan, he could have chosen angels. And angels just get things done. Not, not the demonic realm, but the good angels. They just get things done. They do exactly what they're told when they're told. He could have chosen uh, and in some cases, you know, you'll read through the Bible, we know that the angels do what they're told because we see, in many cases, God using angels. He could have accomplished things God, he could have himself. And indeed, some cases, he does just that and intervenes and takes care of themselves. But an overarching theme throughout the Bible is how God uses men and women as a part of his unfolding history. And it's continuing on today through you and me until Jesus returns. You can jot it down. Let me read it to you. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 talks about the Bible. The Bible talks about God where his eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Those whose heart is loyal to him. You know, when I read that, there's a part of me that just says, man, God, if your eyes are going to and fro even now, let them stop here. Show yourself strong on behalf of us, God. Let us be the kind of people that you will stop and pause and pour out your Holy Spirit upon and use us in these last days. Don't let your eyes flow through our church or flow through our homes or flow through our classrooms or flow through our basements or don't let his eyes go through and across us and then just pass us up. We want to be used in the days in which we live. And in Samuel, we meet a couple of men that God used. And one, a man by the name of Samuel. We actually meet him as a baby uh, in the womb. We meet him and through his mom, who was barren, without, a ch- without children, desperately seeking God's will for her life. Another man we're going to meet in the book of Samuel is a man by the name of David. And these two men were used in tremendous, incredible ways, in a positive way, for the purposes of God with all their faults and failures. But we also meet Saul. 
Israel's first king. A man whom God could have used, listen, just point this, we're not going to get into much in Saul so early in the book, but we will eventually. This is a man, and you don't want this said about you. Saul was a man that God could have used in tremendous ways, but his sinful decisions rendered him unusable. So between David, Samuel, and Saul, we definitely don't want to be Saul. We don't want to render through our sinful decisions ourselves unusable. And through our study of these men and all the other folks that are woven in between, we're going to learn a lot about what it means to have a heart for God. The good news about how God uses people is that we know that God can use us. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said that God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things of the world. Why? So that after God is done using them, he gets all the glory and no one can glory in his presence. So God uses us. We've learned that. We've seen that. And perhaps many of you have experienced how God will use you. That's the plan of God for his church. Now, let's turn over there just for the sake of review and read through in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Picking up in verse 26, just by way of a background to jump into our study in 1 Samuel. This is the plan of God for his church. To have a group of men and women, not many of them wise, not many of them strong, not many of them noble. Now understand this for a second. Now you you kind of look at your life and you think, well, you know, I'm not necessarily in those categories. Not that you think too highly of yourself or prideful, but just the fact that that maybe you are well educated. And you go, well, does God, does that automatically write me off? Of course not. God will use the strong and the weak. God will use the wise and not the wise. It's not, he doesn't say, let me, let me emphasize this. Not that, again, not that we're prideful, but if you happen to be in a place where your, your family heritage is of a noble character, or you have been well-educated because you've just been blessed to go through the education system, and you have degrees, and you're able to, just, or maybe you're self-educated. It's not, you know, wise, strong, or you, you might be a stronger type of person. You might come from a stronger, you know, upbringing, or you might even be physically stronger than most. It's, it's not that we're looking for things to write ourselves off. We're looking for ways in the Bible to include ourselves. Maybe that's your perspective in life where you are quick to write yourself off. You know, people saying things about you as you're growing up or the kind of upbringing and being put down or you have experienced a few failures and you're a little tired of failing and you might even identify yourself now as a failure and you don't want to look, away, look for ways now that you're redeemed. Remember we learned this last week where if, you, if somebody asks you who you are, you could say like John the Baptist, I'm just a voice or you can bring it into the New Testament and say, well, who are you? You could say this, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, I'm a new person. And I I may have failures, but I'm not a failure. I I am not a failure in the eyes of God. He has redeemed and continues to redeem my failures. So that in him, even when I fail by faith, I'm victorious and strong in him. That little bit of a mind change where you read through and you, you, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. And you go, well, that's me. Yep. I'm not wise according to the flesh, or not many mighty, or not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. You go, yep, that describes me. And you can describe yourself, you can use that as a positive or as a negative. You can just look at yourself, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I can describe myself as a foolish things. If you were looking for someone that, you know, 20 something years ago, you're looking for a, a pastor to, to move from Southern California to another part, of play, another part of the country to be used of God to plant a church, believe me, you would not have 
have chosen me. You would have left my presence going, what a fool. Or whatever other words you'd want to use to describe. So I know, looking back at my past, I see what God has done in my life. He gets all the glory. Now, of course, if you didn't know me back then, some people, as we share things, and I get little tidbits of what, what my life was before I got saved, there are some people that just don't believe me. Believe me. It's even worse than I describe it. God is that good. The Bible says, I think it was D.L. Moody that said, he described it, that God will go to the guttermost. You know how the phrase, it goes to the, the gospel goes to the uttermost, but you know, God will also go to the guttermost so that he can show himself strong. So be careful, would you? Please don't write yourself off. Please don't artificially put yourself down. You know why? Because that's also a form of Pride. You know, pride is, is a two-way street. One way, you can think too highly of yourself. And you think, well, you know, I'm not any of these. I'm God. Of course God chose me. What do you think? Don't you know where I've come from? Don't you know who I am? That, that's, that's an easy, perceptible pride. But there's also another pride where you don't think too highly of yourself. You actually think too lowly of yourself. Where, well, the Bible calls out, there's a phrase. You'll see it now when it comes up. You can write next to it, false humility. A false humility is also prideful. And you go, well, man, what am I supposed to do? Think too highly of myself? Think, no, remember a definition of true humility is to have a right estimation or a right understanding of yourself in light of God. Where you just know who you are. You understand and accept who you are by the grace of God. Knowing that wherever you are now, God is at work in your life to change you. To take you and me from glory to glory and strength to strength. That if you will present yourself to him, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, through that presentation, through that cooperation, through that obedience, God will choose to use you. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro, and to that person that's ready and receptive, to that person that's humble and submissive, man, that is a powerful, you are a powerful tool. A powerful man, a powerful woman in the hand of God. And so God does choose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, verse 27. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And God has chosen, verse 28, the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So, verse 29, no flesh should glory in his presence. And notice verse 30, he says, but of him you You are in Christ Jesus, who what? Became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, I hope you agree in your own life as I share this with you, but this section of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, is the best reason and explanation in all of the Bible that I have found that explains why I serve in the ministry. This is it. It's the best answer why God would use someone like me, why he would transform my life, where he had plans for me even more than I could perceive and still yet to come. One of the lessons that God is always showing us, God is showing me is of his sufficiency and his strength and his power. Those of you that have memorized Zechariah chapter four, verse six, you know that it's not by might and it's not by power, but what? It's by my spirit, says the Lord. That was written, that was given to a man that was faced with an impossibility. It was given to a man that looked at the work that was before him 
and just felt his own inadequacy, his own weakness. And God came and said, you're right, Zerubbabel. You're right. It will not be your wisdom and it will not be your strength and it will not be you being able to figure this one out and it will not be able you to talk your way out of this and it won't be. And all of the things that we can look at of what we've used in the past to succeed, no, we need to learn to come to end of ourselves so that the sufficiency of God will be all that we trust And we come to the conclusion that Paul did, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life, who loved me and gave his life for me. I've been crucified with him. Now, you're in 1 Corinthians. Let's just jump over a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians reminds me that God can and God will and God does use anyone no matter what their background is, no matter what their weaknesses are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter what part of town you came from, no matter what language you speak, no matter what color of the skin you are, no matter what gender you are, no matter how smart, how educated, what you may bring that is inadequacy before the Lord, God will turn it around and use it for his glory so he gets all the credit for the work in your life. According to Second Corinthians, notice chapter 4 with me, would you? Verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Are you the treasure or the earthen vessel? You're the vessel. And in you, you have a treasure. There's a contrast here. We have this treasure. We have the message of the gospel. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in life. We have God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So that's the way it works. The way it works, and your life is described right now as an earthen vessel, very human, filled with treasure. That's you. I just want you to know, do you see all this fall out? In my Bible, it wouldn't have fallen out. <laughs> you, are the tre- you are the earthen vessel, and God is the treasure. That's how it works. That's your life. You're not the treasure, although God does treasure you because he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. That's how valuable you are. But you're the earthen vessel, fragile and weak. In another place in the Bible, God would describe you as just dust. He's not putting you down. He's just telling you the truth. <laughs> he was fashioned and made you out of dust. And without him, you'll be dust because it's what's in you that makes the vessel valuable. I mean, you can hide a million dollars in an old coffee can, and that coffee can, everybody would want it. Well, they don't really do coffee cans all that much anymore anyway, huh? A coffee bag. You know, you could find an old Tupperware that's been microwaved and discolored by the things that you weren't supposed to microwave in it. Have you guys ever done that? <laughs> just ruin it? I have. I've gotten big trouble for it from my mom when I was a kid. Just ruin it because you're supposed to take it out first and... But that Tupperware can be pretty valuable, pretty valuable if you put a few diamond rings in it. And here you and I are, we're this treasure holder, treasure carrier. And for those earthen vessels, notice what you face in verse 8. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about, Paul describes himself, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Verse 11, 
For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that really is the desire of our hearts in good times and in bad. We just want to direct you past us and to the Lord, to his word, to his wonderful grace. We're just vessels not looking to man, but to the Lord, where he gets all the glory. And this you will see clearly in the men and women that God uses. As you look around the room, you see a testimony of this very truth being lived out. And so we will, as we study in 1 Samuel, see the same testimony in a very different group of people, in a different time period, in a different part of history, but very true, real human beings that God used. So that after you read through 1 Samuel and you see some of the weaknesses in their life and you look at their life and you estimate and you go, wow, wow, that's amazing that God would use someone like them. And so for Samuel reveals for us thousands of years, even before the birth of the church, we're reminded and we see that God uses imperfect people. People chosen not necessarily for their successes, but in some cases it was their failures that qualified them in order to be used greatly because it was through that failure that came great humility and it was through that great humility that came great dependence and it was through that great dependence that came a crying out and a desperation before God and it was through that crying out and desperation before God that God met you right where you right where you needed to be met and he raised you up in a powerful way now in 1 Samuel chapter 1 Samuel comes on the scene as the last judge of Israel and its first prophet. Samuel is the last judge of Israel and its first prophet. You recall, and you may need to go back for way of review, but in our study in Judges, the book doesn't end well. Actually, the whole book is very discouraging. It's a discouraging time in the nation of Israel's history, the book of Judges and Samuel. Because there is a passage of scripture at the very end of Judges, in Judges chapter 21, that describes the basic condition of the nation of Israel during this time. Let me read it to you. Uh, in, In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. We happen, I believe, to live in a very similar era in history where there is a, a large group of people on the earth, not just our country, but a large group of people on the earth who do not have Jesus as king. And because there's no king in their life, by way of application, because there's no king in their life, 
Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. I would even say this. As you find some, if you find this attribute in your own life, you find this pattern in your life where you start at the end and you're starting to do what's right in your own eyes. You do what's right for yourself. You're not mindful of your decisions and how they hurt or affect others. And you're just looking out for number one. And you're just making sure number one's taken care of. And you're, and you're rallying and you're surrounded by people that just seem to encourage you. Just take care of number one and don't worry about. I would say if you back up from that statement and each time we do that in our lives or live it as a pattern, I would say that in that time, you are not serving King Jesus in that time. It would be the same for you in a small way and same for me, that when I have no king in my life, I do what's right in my own eyes. I do what's right for me. And Samuel comes on the scene as the last judge and the first prophet, and he takes over after, well, after the judges were unable to bring order. The book of Judges summarizes this ugly season of doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no king. 350 years from their military strength, they slid downhill fast until there is a king in Israel. And we meet that king in 1 Samuel. His name is Saul. Now the book of 1 Samuel covers, for you note takers, just some things, some background, covers about 94 years of time from the birth of Samuel to the death of Saul. Written, the author being Samuel, we see a prophetically oriented history of Israel's first monarchy. And 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, picks up the story of Israel that left off back in Judges. Samuel follows Samson. And he too had to deal with the Philistines that Samson didn't fully accomplish a permanent victory. And we see the transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings, from theocracy to monarchy in 1 Samuel. God will use the monarchy, use the kingship, will use even Saul. He'll use Saul and the monarchy to bring more stability to Israel because it's easier, and we see this demonstrated, that it was easier for Israel to follow a man instead of an earthly king, instead of God. Samuel was the king maker who anointed the first two rulers of the United Kingdom, Saul and David. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and our very first message in 1 Samuel. Ed, in today's lesson, you made it clear that God uses imperfect people and situations. Now, as you know, sometimes Christians are under the impression that their sinful past disqualifies them from being used by the Lord. What would you speak to that person listening that is really struggling with those thoughts? Yeah, Larry, this is super common. I'm glad that you brought it up because we all have a past. And attached to our past is regret and condemnation. So much so, I think I mentioned this before, but we're in the final stages of editing my latest book. And the topic of it will be free from your past, being set free from your past. And there's no condemnation. And I think that's the key. Living in Romans chapter 8 and not in Romans chapter 7. And I'd encourage you, read those two chapters. You'll see chapter 7 can be such a discouraging thing as Paul thinks back to the wrestling that he's in and the difficulty that he's faced. But then he says, who's going to deliver me? And there is therefore now no condemnation is how chapter 8 opens up. And, and so the struggle is real. And I want to validate that. But I don't want you to live in the struggle. I want you to live in the victory. And that's key. The struggle is real, but the victory is real. So where will you choose to live? And just like 
our car. We have a big windshield and we have a small rear view mirror and then the two mirrors on the side. We don't drive our car staring in the rear view mirror. We glance back occasionally, like we can't deny our past. And and let's face it, some of our some of us that has a past that may affect our future. Um, because of the culture we live in or the consequences of what we've done in the past. But that does not limit us from being who we are in Christ and submitting ourselves to his perfect will for our lives, even if we have to live with some consequences from our past. So live in the victory. Don't live in the struggle. And I know the Lord will strengthen you through it. Thanks, Ed. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. At the turn of the year, many of us have some resolutions to break a stubborn habit or two. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. And we'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.